that was the first moment when I went, whoa, this feels incredible being part of something that really wants to make the world a better place. Hello, and welcome to Current Thinking with me, Rob Jones. This is the podcast where I interview thinkers and doers with a point of view. In this episode, I speak to Claire Jones about causes and making the world a better place. If you're someone who thinks that maybe they should be doing something or should do more to support causes, or maybe if you're just curious about how it all works, then this interview is for you. Enjoy. Can you start off by telling us, what do you do? I work at a tech startup called What Three Words, which is all about doing good via doing business. Mm-hmm. And what we did is created an addressing system that works for the whole world. So basically it democratises addressing. At the moment, 75% of the world have very poor addressing systems. And that means if you live in a slum in India or a township in South Africa or many of the other places in the world, you're waiting and you might be waiting forever for the government to give you an address because an address is vital for so many things. So we said, well, instead of waiting for the government to fix this problem, we will fix it. We created an addressing system that's consistent across the whole world. It's like latitude and longitude, but instead of using long strings of numbers, which are very difficult to remember to communicate, we made strings of three words. So every three metre square on the planet has a location name made up of three words. So, for example, today we're sitting at Wed's Palms Oasis. Very good. Uh, it means you can talk about location very easily. If you're meeting for a picnic in the park, you can say, meet me at Banana Legs Broken, instead of meet me by the tree in Regent's Park. And if you're living in a slum, for example, you suddenly can use this as an address to get aid, to get emergency help, to order solar lighting for your house. Okay, and it's 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 a system of three words. So how do you know which you know the three words are, are for your current location? So we have an app. And yeah. it's free on iOS and Android, and you and you can also do it in a browser, and so you can find out using GPS. But usually, because GPS isn't very accurate, we'd say put it on photo mode, we've got a satellite mode, and just find your exact location, your house or your front door, and it will be able to tell you your three-word address. That never changes. So once you've discovered it, that should be your address forever. Okay, great. And and you mentioned that it's useful in lots of countries that don't have good addressing systems. Do these people have phones that they can use to, to look up the address? So lots of countries do, in fact. Particularly thinking about sub-Saharan Africa, people have, there are a lot of people getting, getting phones, getting connected to the internet as well. So there are lots of people who do have them, but you don't need a phone to be able to use the address. You need a phone to discover it, or an, a, a tablet or a desktop. And what we've had before are people going around with those. So I could take my phone around, I can tell everybody their address, I can write it down. So we've usually got stickers, people write it on a sticker, they stick it up on their door or their wall or their bedroom, and that's their address forever. So they don't need the phone to continually look up their address because it never changes. You've got a background in working with various causes and, and organisations that, that do social good. How does this fit with that? So for me, this is a very big part of it. It's why I'm with this company. Uh, For me, my working life has always been, wherever possible, about doing good uh, through my work. So that's involved charities in the past and social enterprises and businesses. But for me, there's a string that ties it all together, which is that all of them are trying to make the world a better place in some way. And certainly this is a business where I really believe in its social mission and its commitment to doing good in the world, as well as its potential to be a really brilliant business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and what, are, what are some of the other organisations that you've uh, worked with or, or work with at the moment? So uh, in my job I've worked with uh, charities in Ethiopia, I've worked with uh, one called Eves which is a women's charity which actually closed this year which has been very sad after a really long time of working with vulnerable women. 
I've worked with one called Inspiring Women, which was getting women into schools to talk to girls about all the different possibilities for their careers to try and particularly encourage more women to go into STEM subjects, maths and engineering and technology and science. And other ones, and most recently I was in impact investing. So what that means is investing, but instead of investing in all kinds of different things, including some not very nice things like, for example, weapons and armaments, uh, we invest only in positive things. So investing in businesses like What Three Words, which do good things in the world as well as making money. Great. And why why did you choose this this path for yourself? You know why not choose to you know work in some other field where perhaps you could earn more money or, or choose to spend your time differently? I think there's a brilliant thing about social enterprise is that you get pretty much all the brilliant things about working in a business. So you have cool innovation and you have great clever people that you get to work with and people are allowed to experiment and take risks and do all the really great things. But you also get the buzz of doing something good. In a charity, you get the buzz of doing something good and I loved that. But you also often are in a very stressful environment where it's difficult to plan for the future because you don't necessarily know where the money's coming from. It's also very difficult to do things like ask for a pay rise because you know, I know that the money could be doing something really brilliant on the ground. So it's very difficult in a charity for me to uh, manage that, what I would like from a job and what I want to give back. And I really admire people who can actually stick it out and make it really work. For me, working in a social enterprise was the perfect mixture. Uh, it's something that, that for me lets me have an enjoyable, exciting experience at work, but I also know I'm doing good things for the world. But you asked why I, why I ended up in this. Mm. And I think, have you seen the film, the new Pixar film, uh, where they've got the people in their heads? Um, no, I haven't. No. Um, so they, well, there's a really fascinating bit in it where they, they've got these people who create memories and they have core memories. And these core memories form a big part of your personality. So this child is a great at hockey and she gets a core memory which is based around hockey. And I think for me, I loved this because I imagine I have a very strong feeling of something which could very well, if I were in that film, be a core memory. And that was going on the Iraq war march when I was a teenager with my whole family. So mm. our parents took us, which I thought was amazing. So they, they said, we think this is really important as a family to go on the anti-Iraq war march. And that for me, I think really kicked off a lot of my activism and mm. my interest in the world and my interest in doing something good. I think it's always been something we talked about as a family, but that was the first moment when I went, whoa, this feels incredible being part of something that really wants to make the world a better place. And then from then I've been involved in charities and volunteering and all of these different ways of being involved in causes. And I thought that was, for me, a really core beginning point of how that happened. Yeah, and how much you know, do you think it is important that, that people do do these things, that people do you know, work on these causes? I think it's very important. Uh, I think it makes my life a lot better. I feel a lot happier about my life because I'm involved in a lot of these projects and I get a huge amount out of them. But I also think we have a responsibility particularly those of us who have been lucky enough to have brilliant families and real opportunities and brilliant education. So it's really important that we don't just take that for granted and we understand, I think, the power of luck for me. We understand the power of luck in making our lives great. And so the responsibility we have to maybe give back to people who haven't had that luck. Yeah. And is this something that, you know, maybe, you know, sort of we should leave to a certain special part of society, people who are do-gooders, who, who want to do good? Or do you think, you know, ordinary people and, and maybe more other people should be, should be doing things? I think everybody can do something. And I think everybody can do a lot. And it's not just through 
working for example so what work is one way you can do good through social enterprise or through charity or many many other ways you know very big corporates often have brilliant foundations and do great work too so there are lots of ways at work you can do good but there are other ways too so whether you're just donating money to charity whether you're volunteering those are brilliant and they're not very difficult to do you can do activism so you can march you can tweet you can write letters to politicians you can vote in a way that you believe makes the world a better place and as a consumer i think this is something we always forget is as our power as consumers to do good so if i am buying a uh, if i'm buying tea bags I have the power as a consumer to choose things that are fair trade, to choose things that are ethically sourced. When I'm buying my grocery shopping, I can buy it from a large corporation that may not pay its tax appropriately and may not have an ethical supply chain, or I could buy it from a social enterprise. So there is so much power you have as a consumer in your everyday life to actually influence causes just in what you buy. And mm. I think that's something that we, we maybe don't always know about, and it's something that we have real power in there. So one of the things you mentioned was volunteering. I think you know a lot of people might have some kind of desire to do something and might see that as, as something that they could do. Is it is it something that's widely accessible? And, and if so, you know how how could I go about finding where I could volunteer? I think it depends on who you are and how you'd like to volunteer. It is accessible. It's actually very easy to find because they have a Just Do It website. So you can search, I'd like to volunteer, and you can say, I'm free these times, I like these things, I live in this area, and it'll give you options, which is brilliant. And that's how I found uh, some of the things I'm currently involved in. Uh, it is difficult sometimes to find the right thing, because I think the important thing with volunteering is to find something that fits with your life, so you can either do it consistently or at least give it a proper shot when you do. So if it's volunteering at a soup kitchen once a year, great. If it's something you want to do on a regular basis, you need to be clear that this fits with your life. It might be just volunteering with a project like Inspiring the Future, where you can go into a school and talk about your job to inspire young people. So, and that may be a one-off and it might be easy to manage. Or it might be, we've I've worked before, I volunteered with something called GCSE Success. So we sat down with people on a Saturday morning in a local library, children from schools in a more disadvantaged area, and just did maths and English tuition with them. So there are things like that that you can fit around your life, but it is difficult. And I do some work with a project um, run by Spires, which is a homeless shelter in Streatham. And it's a Monday evening shift. So it's at, it starts at 10, 10 at night and it can go on to half one, two in the morning. And that for me works really well because I actually find it very difficult to find time in the week when I have a full-time job mm. to volunteer. And I find it difficult at the weekend because I'm tired or I'd like to be away or I'm visiting somebody. And this is a really good compromise for me because it means I can do it. Otherwise, I'd just be asleep. So yeah. it's time that I've got. I can do it and I get it done on a Monday night and that, that's done for the week. And it, are there sort of websites or, or things for people who have sort of specialist skills? Maybe you're a lawyer, maybe you're a programmer, some of that. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with any of those. Yes. So the Just Do It site lets you say, I'm really good okay. at this stuff. Right. Uh, and there are also sites that let you search for trustee positions. So if you've got specialist skills, particularly anything like that, if you're a lawyer or you've got experience in marketing or any of those, there are often charities are looking for trustees and that's a really great way to volunteer your time and your skills. So you can advise and help charities grow and help them be sustainable and help them keep delivering services or improve their services because you have those skills. So volunteering isn't always necessarily going and painting a wall. You may not be very good at painting a wall, so don't force yourself to do it. Try and use the skills you have. So the project I mentioned, I work with sex workers in 
Brixton and the reason I did that as a project was because I used to work when I worked at this charity Eves I worked with women who'd been trafficked so mm. I felt like I had some experience and understanding and I could add some value realistically though the value I add is very small most of the value comes from my, my colleague who is an employee of the charity she drives the van and there's the two of us she goes out driving the van and she delivers pretty much she delivers most of the interventions so we work with the sex workers and we give them um, we do a needle exchange, so they can give us dirty needles and we give them clean ones. Uh, we give out condoms, we give out food and drink. We try and link them in with health services, we try and get them housing, all these kind of things. Jenny, who drives the van, does almost all of that. She's the one, that, she's the face they know, she's this incredible person who remembers all of their stories. She knows how many children they have. She can tell me, someone she hasn't seen for three years, she can still tell me where they grew up, what their story is. It's amazing. So. I sit there, I'm the body in the van, there's got to be two of you to be safe, I'm there to take notes, make sure I can keep track of what's going on and support Jenny, but most of my value is just being a person who is there, rather than adding any specialist skills, but I felt like I was able to do it because I'd maybe learned about the, the space because I'd worked with women who'd been trafficked before. It's slightly different, but it's a similar empathy and understanding thing. But it's, it's a very interesting experience volunteering because in that case, it reminds you actually you're not always very important mm. and you don't always have to do something that feels important and that feeds your ego to find it fulfilling and to find it. I'm very happy to have done it. It's very devastating. It's very upsetting. But I think that's important. I think sometimes it's important to be devastated by things that are real and things that are in the world. It's important to know that things are terribly sad and to try and make them better. Yeah. And perhaps for people who don't have the appetite to, you know, it's an enormous time commitment there and maybe someone who doesn't want to feel devastated, um, what, are, what are some of the other things that they can do? Um, you know, so obviously you mentioned um, donating, um, but if, if, let's say, I wanted to, to put my money to work, then I could, I could make some sort of social investments. Mm -hmm. Yes, and that's really taking off. Uh, there's actually something called social investment tax, re tax relief. So right now, if you want to do philanthropy, you're incentivized, there are tax reliefs to make it easier so that you can make tax relief and you're, you're able to make your money go further. The charity does better out of it. And if you want to start making social investments, which is, so in this case, it means investing into a charity or a legally constructed social enterprise. So that means uh, a legal construction is something like a community interest company, of which there are, I think, over 7,000 in the UK. Mm -hmm or a charity or basically it means you have to invest in something that has an asset lock which just means it can't give a load of money to shareholders unrestricted at unrestricted levels but you can invest in those and if you do you get a 30 percent tax break on that on that investment from the government which Very was nice. quite new and it's really brilliant because it starts to say well we think it matters that people invest in good things and if you want to support your local community shop and they're raising investment you can invest in them and be incentivized to do that you can do it through crowdcube you can do it through kickstarter there are lots of different ways of making these kind of social investments. Some of them you might do it as a donation to into a social enterprise, and some of them you might hope to get your money back and recycle it, like much like Kiva. I don't know if you know about Kiva. Yeah, I'm familiar with the the, the, the Kiva website. Yeah, so that's that you, you can do micro loans to entrepreneurs, and when you get your money back, you can give it to somebody else. Yeah, and another question that someone might have is how much you know how much should I do or how much do I need to do how do you think about that I think it's a really difficult question uh, I talked about feeling devastated I think I feel very guilty a lot of the time because I've, I've got such a great life and I know I'm very lucky and I know I could do a lot more I don't live in a commune and donate all my money and all my time to doing good things I 
So that is a very difficult question. And for me, it's easy to plan in advance. I feel like that makes it easier. So I'm able to say this percentage of my income mm. I would like to give away. And that lets me plan it. So it lets me not go, okay, so these are my direct debits every month. These are the charities I do large donations to. And these are my spontaneous one-off donations for when I see that sad advert on the tube or I hear about something or somebody does a fun run for a charity. So, but planning, make, sh make sure I commit to it and I stick to it. Because I think it's very easy to say, I like to give to charity, but maybe not do as much as you'd like to do if you didn't think about it. So just finding something that works for you and trying to plan that into your life like similarly with volunteering, so if you want to commit a certain amount of hours or you want to commit to doing something every six months, just planning it in makes it easier and it makes you feel more comfortable about the decisions you're making. Yeah, so then I guess you don't feel as guilty if you've got some kind of framework that you're, exactly. you're working towards. Exactly. And, and how about for you know, sort of large purchases, how, you know, how, how can you justify spending a lot of money just on yourself? Uh, yeah, so it, it's difficult and I think sometimes I will make decisions that I wouldn't necessarily think are the right decision for the world but I try and mitigate it when I can and for example when my partner and I got married last year we said okay well we're gonna agree a budget for our wedding and whatever we spend whether it's more or less than that budget we're going to commit a certain percentage of that as a percentage of that budget is going to go to charity so if we go really overboard and start spending thousands and thousands of pounds on the wedding then a percentage of that will be donated to charity so that was a another framework that helped us feel better and we also found that our guests were very generous so instead of a gift list with a lifted list of gifts we wanted we said if you want to do a gift um, don't feel obliged if you want to here's a charity which was the Helen Bamber Foundation and we would love we're going to make this donation and we'd love it if anyone joined us and actually people were hugely generous and it was a really beautiful thing for us because we were celebrating uh, our love and our family and our friends and then we were able to help uh, people and Helen Bamba Foundation works with people who are fleeing torture and trafficking and it helps them rebuild their lives so it was a really brilliant thing that made us feel a bit better about those very expensive big purchases. Yeah that sounds, that sounds like a, a good idea and, and how do you decide okay we want to support this organisation how do you decide kind of what are the causes and within those who, who you should be supporting? Uh, Sometimes it's just because I've worked with them because some I feel like for me that's an easy way to see I've seen that it does good. So the Helen Bamba Foundation when I worked with women who'd been trafficked we used to refer them to Helen Bamba and we knew what an amazing difference it made to their lives. Other times I mean we support water aid and I've never worked with water aid but my dad is an engineer who's been involved in water and so I like the idea of people having clean water. I think sometimes you make it on instinct, sometimes you make it on I've looked at their accounts, I've looked at what they do, I read an impact report and sometimes it's just this makes me feel good when I think about helping someone in this way. It really depends and it's something I would like to see more of if there were a brilliant app or something I could use to help me make decisions based on these are the things that matter to me. And these are the, this is the impact I'd like to have in the world and this is the budget I have and maybe help me think about how I could plan my money. If you're a philanthropist and you've got hundreds of thousands every year, you've got a whole team of people who are willing to help you do that. But when you're at the smaller end, it would be quite cool to have something that would help me make those decisions in a more informed way. Yeah, and, and are you familiar with the effective altruism movement? Yes, yes. Yeah, so I mean, so there are some, you know, some, some great resources that are, are coming out of that movement. So uh, I think GiveWell's one, and there's a website called Giving What We Can. Uh, and these websites advise on sort of which are the most uh, effective organisations. Yes. Um, is there much sort of difference between how effective different different 
charities and organisations are? I think it depends on what you think is effective. So, for example, the work I'm doing with Spires, working with sex workers who are, in, are working on the street, they're hugely vulnerable, they've got many, many kind of interlocking oppressions, and saying, if, if I wanted to donate £20,000 to them and say, look, use this £20,000 to make life better for sex workers, actually it's a very long, slow, expensive process. So it might be difficult for me to say how effective is that compared to creating uh, clean water uh, or sanitation in, in a slum. So I think it depends what matters to you. And charities are very good at being open about this stuff. And they're also legally obliged to be. So people can go on the Charity Commission website and read their impact reports and see their accounts and understand what they're spending money on and then, then make decisions based on what matters to them about how effective they are. Yeah, okay, that, that, that sounds good. And I mean, are charities always the best way of, of solving these problems? For me, I think no. I think sometimes the government is a very effective way of solving these problems. Uh, thinking about having a basic standard of living, lots of charities are filling a gap. Uh, food banks, for example, really it feels like that should be some, there should be a better system for people than having to go to food banks. Uh, in other cases, charities are brilliant because they have often a lot of experience and a lot of understanding, and also the capacity for empathy. I think there's this huge capacity for empathy which is really important in some service delivery which charities can do and they have visionary people leading them. In other times I think business is the right way to do it so I think there are these there are brilliant uh, charities for example um, Paper and Cup is this great social enterprise tied to a charity and it's a does amazing coffee just off Old Street Roundabout and it's a beautiful little shop, it does great coffee, it's also got books for sale and they employ people who are ex-offenders and need a bit of help getting into employment for the first time. So they, they and then their profits are reinvested into the charity. So that everything about that is brilliant and they, because they're running a business, they're able to employ these people and to give them an opportunity that they wouldn't otherwise have. So there are some really great kind of hybrid models of charity and social enterprise and sometimes businesses have these brilliant foundations that are a really great way to answer problems. Or similarly, my uh, I'm, I'm at What Three Words and I don't think this would be as effective as it is right now mm. if it had been set up as a charity. You look at Just Giving, Just Giving is a great example, it's a, this is a business. So it's catalyzed millions and millions of donations and it was set up as a business with investors who were able to see the vision and take a risk and if it had been just somebody had been given a grant that grant money would have disappeared it would have done some good and they would have gone but because there was it was invested in this way into a couple of visionary people who said this is what we want to do we want to grow a business and now millions and millions have been raised has been raised for charities is there an ethical issue there with sort of making money off off the back of charity and, and people's altruistic I don't think it is. I think there are lots of ways of making money and I think making money out of things that do good for the world feels better than making money out of things that do bad for the world. Uh, there are lots of ways and I there are some charities I wouldn't like to see people making money off their work but particularly thinking about working with vulnerable people and there are, there are certainly some ethical issues that you have to think about but when you're thinking about how can I catalyse change in the world, if a great innovative business model is the way to do it then fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Great. And you know, if 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 people are sort of interested in in doing something or doing more, you know, what what would you say is sort of sort of a simple step that they could they could take as a as a next step tomorrow, maybe? Or I think they should go to an event. So I always think like this is a brilliant way to do it. So for example, go to an effective altruism event, or go to a charity dinner, or 
go to a networking event, a table crowd event, for example, where they have these dinners for like-minded people, I think go to an event and meet people and talk to them. And that, for me, has been how I found the most interesting things in my life, has been through talking to people and hearing about what they do and learning from them. And that, that, I think that's a really nice way to start. Mm -hmm. and, and just now to change tack slightly, um, is, there, is there anything that you've uh, purchased or started doing recently that's improved your life? I, well, I just purchased, before we started talking, a Fairphone. And I think it will improve my life because I've been feeling very guilty about my iPhone for a very long time. A Fairphone is uh, a phone that basically it's very ethically sourced, so no conflict minerals in there. And, uh, it's all been very a very fair supply chain. And it also is fixable, so the idea is when, it, when the battery stops working, I don't need a new phone. Or if the screen breaks, I can just replace these parts of it. So I'm not contributing to this disposability and this kind of planned obsolescence of technology. So that has already made me feel better about my life because I know I'm doing something good with my phone rather than doing something that I don't feel ethically very comfortable with, with my phone. Yes. All right. That, that sounds very interesting. Um, and then on books, um, sort of which books have you been reading most recently? Uh, so I have a book club, so I read a lot of books, which is very nice. Um, but one I've been telling everybody to read at the moment is We've Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. It's a gothic, strange, postmodern, brilliant piece of work, which is really surprising and weird, and I would definitely recommend it to everybody. To everybody? Everybody. It's brilliant. I think if you don't like postmodern things, you'll read this and you might start to like them. And, and how about podcasts? What have you been listening to? I've been listening to The Guardian Long Read quite a lot which is really great actually, it's, a, it's long enough for my whole commute to my job and there are some really fascinating ones on there. So what, what's, what's in there? What so they, they're basically kind of long explorations of a, of a particular topic, so a journalist has gone and researched and investigated. So there was one recently on an assassination in Israel which was fascinating and one on the obscenity laws in the UK. So they're really, really interesting and really well done. Oh, I'll have to, have to check that out. And if you could have a billboard anywhere, uh, where would it be and what would it say? I think that's very difficult and I think it would change every day if you asked me that, that question. Uh, for work, it would be, I would love to be able to have a billboard in the middle of Piccadilly Circus uh, where we can, with our three word addresses, so for example saying maybe if you wave your hand, the billboard will flash up your current three word location, whether that's apple, cup, spoon or party, party, party. And I think otherwise, thinking about causes, I would quite like to have one outside Parliament Square, a very big billboard that the MPs have to walk past every day with the names of people who've been murdered in domestic violence situations. This is something which is devastating. It happens more than one, one woman is killed every week by a partner. And there's this project called Counting Dead Women and they share their names to remind us that these aren't just statistics, that these are real people and that we should recognise their names and that should galvanise us to do something. And I think walking past the names of people who've been killed in intimate partner violence might spur MPs and other people to do something about it. Mm, mm. Um, Claire, thank you very much. This, is, this has been brilliant. Uh, where can people go to find out more about you? Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Claire Mary Jones, but with no I am Claire, so Claire Mary Jones. Great, thank you very much. Thanks, Rob.